President-elect Joe Biden are holding a news conference in Chicago today to formally announce their team of economic advisors and their plans to rebuild the faltering economy. But as Obama assembles his cabinet and prepares to take over the reins from President Bush, more questions are being raised about the kind of change he'll bring to Washington and the world. Progressives who supported Obama's candidacy, celebrated his historic victory, are dismayed by his consideration of Clinton-era figures as his key advisors, many of who championed financial regulation and are hawkish on foreign policy. World-renowned public intellectual Noam Chomsky discussed the meaning of Obama's victory and the possibilities ahead for real democratic change at a recent address in Boston. He's been a professor of linguistics at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology for over half century and written over a hundred books. In his first public appearance since the election, Professor Chomsky spoke last week to a packed audience in Boston at an event organized by Encuentro 5. His talk was called, What Next? The Elections, the Economy, and the World. Well, let's begin with the elections. Uh, the word that uh, rolls off uh, everyone's tongue is uh, historic, historic election. And I agree with that. It was a historic election. Uh, to have a black family in the White House is a, a momentous achievement. In fact, it's historic in a broader sense. The two Democratic uh, candidates were uh, an African-American and a woman. Uh, both remarkable achievements. If we go back, say, 40 years, it uh, would have been unthinkable. So something's happened to the country in 40 years. And what's happened to the country, which is we're not supposed to mention, uh, is that there was uh, extensive uh, and very uh, constructive activism in the 1960s, which had an aftermath. So the feminist movement mostly developed in the 70s, the solidarity movements in the 80s, and on till today. And the activism did civilize the country. Uh, it's an important achievement. The country's a lot more civilized than it was 40 years ago, and the historic achievements uh, illustrate it. And that's also a lesson for what's next. Uh, what's next will depend on whether the same thing happens. Uh, changes and progress uh, very rarely are gifts from above. They come out of uh, struggles from below. Uh, and it's up to the answer to what's next uh, depends on people like you. Nobody else can answer it. It's not predictable. Uh, the, uh, in some ways, the election, uh, the election was surprising in some respects. Uh, going back to my bad prediction, uh, if the financial crisis hadn't taken place at the moment that it did, if it had been delayed a couple of months, I suspect that prediction would have been correct. But not speculating, uh, one thing surprising about the election is that it wasn't a landslide. Uh, by the usual criteria, you'd expect the opposition party to win in a landslide under conditions like the ones that exist today. Uh, the incumbent president uh, for eight years was so unpopular that his own party it couldn't mention his name and had to pretend to be opposing his policies. Uh, the, uh, he presided over one, maybe the worst record for uh, ordinary people in uh, uh, post-war history in terms of job growth, uh, real wealth, and so on. Uh, the, uh, he, he, uh, just about everything the administration has touched has turned into a disaster. Uh, countries uh, reached the lowest level of uh, standing in the world that it's uh, ever had. Uh, and uh, the economy was tanking. 
several recessions are going on, not just the one on the front page is the financial recession, but uh, there's also a recession in the real economy, uh, the productive economy. Under circumstances, and the people know it, so 80% of the population say the country's going in the wrong direction. Uh, the, about 80% say uh, the government does not work for the benefit of the people. It works for the few in the special interests. Uh, startling uh, 94% uh, complain that the government doesn't pay any attention to the public will and on like that. Uh, under conditions like that, you'd expect a landslide for the opposition, almost whoever they are. And there wasn't one, which does raise some questions. So one might ask why there wasn't a landslide. And that goes off in an interesting direction. Uh, the, uh, uh, in other respects, the outcome was pretty familiar. Uh, so once again, the election was essentially bought. Uh, nine out of ten of the uh, evictors uh, outspent their opponents. Uh, Obama, of course, outspent McCain. The, uh, the, uh, if you look at the, we don't have final records yet from the final results, but they're probably going to be pretty much like the preliminary results a couple of months ago, which showed that both Obama and McCain were getting uh, the bulk of their financing from uh, the financial institutions and for Obama, uh, law firms, uh, which means essentially lobbyists. Uh, that's for, it was about over a third a few months ago. Probably final results will probably be the same. Uh, the, uh, and uh, there is a, f the, fund, the distribution of funding has over time been a pretty good predictor of what policies will be like. Uh, for those of you who are interested, there's very good uh, scholarly work on this by Tom Ferguson at UMass Boston, what he calls the investment theory of politics, which predicts the, uh, which argues essentially that uh, elections are moments when uh, groups of investors coalesce and invest to control the state uh, and has quite uh, substantial predictive success, gives some suggestion as to what's likely to happen. So that part's uh, familiar. Uh, the, uh, what the future is, as I say, depends on people like you. Uh, the uh, the uh, response to the election was interesting and instructive. It, uh, it kept pretty much to the um, soaring rhetoric, to borrow the cliché that was the major theme of the election. Uh, the election was described as uh, an extraordinary uh, display of democracy, uh, a miracle that could only happen in America, and on and on. Uh, much more extreme in Europe even than here. Uh, there's some accuracy in that if we keep to the West. So if we keep to the West, yes, it's probably true that it couldn't have happened anywhere else. Uh, uh, Europe is much more racist than the United States, and uh, you wouldn't expect anything like that to happen. On the other hand, if we look at the world, it's not that remarkable. Uh, so let's take, say, the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere, uh, Haiti and Bolivia. Uh, in Haiti, there was uh, an election in 1990, uh, which really was an extraordinary display of democracy, much more so than this. Uh, in Haiti, the, there were uh, uh, grassroots movements 
popular movements that developed in the slums and in the hills, which nobody was paying any attention to. And they managed, even without any resources, to sweep into power their own candidate, uh, a uh, populist priest, Jean Bertrand Aristide. Uh, that's a victory for democracy, when popular movements can organize and set programs and pick their candidate and put them into office, which is not what happened here, of course. Uh, the, uh, and when Obama did uh, organize a great a large number of people and many enthusiastic people, uh, what's called uh, in the press uh, Obama's army, uh, but the army is uh, supposed to take instructions not to implement to introduce, develop uh, programs and call on its own candidate to implement them, uh, that's critical. If the army keeps to that condition, uh, nothing much will change. If it, on the other hand, goes the way activists did in the 60s, a lot could change. One of the choices that has to be made. Uh, however, so that's Haiti. Uh, of course, that didn't last very long. A couple of months later, there was a military coup. Uh, period of terror. I won't go through the whole record, but uh, up to the present, uh, the traditional torturers of Haiti, France, and the United States uh, have made sure that uh, there won't be a victory for democracy there. It's a miserable story, contrary to many illusions. Uh, take the second poorest country, Bolivia. Uh, they had an election in 1990, uh, 2005 that's uh, almost unimaginable in the West, uh, certainly here, anywhere. Uh, the person elected into office was indigenous. That's the most oppressed population in the hemisphere. That is, those who survived. Uh, he's a poor peasant. How did he get in? Uh, well, he, uh, he got in because uh, there were, again, a mass popular movements uh, which uh, elected their own representative. And they are the source of the programs, which are serious ones. It's, uh, they're real issues, and people know them. Uh, control over resources, uh, cultural rights, uh, social justice, and so on. Uh, furthermore, the election was just an event that was a particular stage in a long, continuing struggle. A lot before and a lot after. There was a day when people pushed the levers, uh, but that's just an event in ongoing popular struggles, very serious ones. Uh, a couple of years ago, they... There's a major struggle over uh, privatization of water effort, to, which would, in effect, deprive uh, a good part of the population of water to drink. And it was a bitter struggle. A lot of people were killed, but they won it uh, through international solidarity, in fact, which helped. And it continues. Uh, now, that's a real election. Uh, again, the plans, the programs are being developed uh, acted on constantly by mass popular movements, uh, which then select their own representative from their own ranks uh, to carry out their programs. Now, that's quite different from what happened here. Actually, what happened here is, is understood by elite elements. The, uh, uh, the public relations industry, which runs elections here, quadrennial extravaganzas, essentially, uh, makes sure to keep issues in the margins and uh, focus on personalities, character, and so on and so forth. Uh, they do that for good reasons. Uh, they know, uh, they look at public opinion studies, and they know perfectly well that on a host of major issues, both parties are well to the right of the population. That's one good reason to 
keep issues off the, off the table. And they recognize the success. So a couple of days, every year, the advertising industry uh, gives a prize uh, to, you know, to, to the best marketing campaign of the year. Uh, this year, uh, Obama won the prize, beat out Apple Company, uh, the best marketing campaign of 2008, uh, which is correct. You know, that's essentially what happened. Uh, now, that's quite different from what happens in a functioning democracy, like, say, Bolivia or Haiti, except for the fact that it was crushed. Uh, and in the South, it's not all that uncommon. Notice that each of these cases is a much more extraordinary uh, display of uh, democracy in action than what we've seen, important as it was here. Uh, and uh, so the rhetoric, especially in Europe, is correct. If we maintain our own narrow, racist perspectives and say, yeah, what happens in the South didn't happen or it doesn't matter. Well, the only thing that matters is what we do, and by our standards, it was extraordinary, miracle, uh, but not by the standards of uh, functioning democracy. In fact, there is a there is a there's a, there's a, a distinction in democratic theory, uh, which which does separate, say, the United States from uh, Bolivia or Haiti. The question is, what is a democracy supposed to be? That's actually a debate that goes back to the Constitutional Convention, but in recent years, in the 20th century, it's been pretty well articulated by important figures. So at the liberal end, progressive end, uh, the leading public intellectual of the 20th century was Walter Lippmann, uh, uh, Wilson, uh, Roosevelt, uh, Kennedy, progressive. And he, a lot of his work was on uh, a democratic theory, and he was pretty frank about it. He actually took a position not all that different from James Madison's. Uh, he said that in, in a democracy, uh, the population has a function. Its function is to be spectators, not participants. Uh, he didn't call it the population. He called it the uh, ignorant and meddlesome outsiders. That's you. The ignorant and meddlesome outsiders have a function, namely to watch what's going on uh, and uh, to push a lever every once in a while and then go home. Uh, but the participants are us, us privileged, smart guys. Well, that's one conception of democracy, and, yeah, that's uh, essentially we've seen an episode of it. The population very often doesn't accept this. As I mentioned in just very recent polls, people overwhelmingly oppose it. But they're atomized, separated, uh, uh, many of them feel hopeless, uh, unorganized, and don't feel they can do anything about it. So they dislike it, you know, but uh, that's where it ends. In a functioning democracy, like, say, Bolivia or the United States in earlier stages, they did something about it. Now, that's why we have the New Deal measures, the Great Society measures. In fact, any, just about any step, you know, women's rights, uh, end of slavery, go back as far as you like. Uh, it doesn't happen as a gift, and it's not going to happen in the future. The, uh, the commentators are pretty well aware of this, although they, they're not going to, they don't put it the way I'm going to, but if you read the press, it does come out. So take our local newspaper at the liberal end of the spectrum, the Boston Globe. Uh, you probably saw right after the election a front-page story. The lead front-page story was on uh, uh, how Obama uh, uh, developed this wonderful grassroots army, uh, but he doesn't have any debts. 
which is supposed to be a good thing. So he's free to do what he likes because he has no debts. Uh, he, uh, the normal uh, Democratic constituencies, uh, labor, women, minorities, and so on, they didn't bring him into office. So he owes them nothing. MIT professor, author, political dissident Noam Chomsky. We'll come back to this interview in a minute. You can get a copy of our show by going to democracynow.org. Stay with us. Rise here on Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. As we return now to Professor Noam Chomsky's address in Boston, the elections, the economy, and the world. Uh, what he had was an army that he organized of people who got out the vote for Obama, for what the press calls Brand Obama. They essentially agree with the advertisers. It's Brand Obama that his army was mobilized to, uh, uh, to uh, bring into office. Uh, they regard that as a good thing, accepting uh, the Lippmann conception of democracy. The ignorant and meddlesome outsiders are supposed to do what they're told and then go home. Uh, the Wall Street Journal, at the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, also had an article about the same thing, roughly the same time. It talked about this tremendous grassroots army that had been developed, uh, which is now waiting for instructions. So what should they do next to press forward Obama's agenda, whatever that is? But whatever it is, the army is supposed to be out there taking instructions and press for it. Uh, Los Angeles Times had similar articles, and, and there are others. Uh, what they don't seem to realize is that what they're describing, the ideal that they're describing is dictatorship, not democracy. Uh, democracy, at least, you know, in... in not in the Lippmann sense, the approved, I pick him out because he's so famous, but it's a standard position. Uh, but in the sense of, say, much of the South, where mass popular movements develop programs, uh, organize to take part in elections, but that's one part of an ongoing process, and uh, bring somebody from their own ranks to uh, implement the programs that they develop. And if the person doesn't, they're out. Okay, and that's another kind of democracy. So it's up to us to choose which kind of democracy we want. And again, that'll determine what comes next. Uh, well, what can we anticipate if uh, the popular army, the grassroots army, decides to accept the function of spectators of action rather than participants? Uh, there's two kinds of evidence. Uh, there's rhetoric and there's action. The rhetoric, we know, it's very uplifting. Uh, change, hope, and so on. Uh, change was kind of reflexive. Uh, any party manager this year who 
read the polls, including the ones I cited, would instantly conclude that our theme in the election has to be changed because people hate what's going on for good reasons. So the theme has changed. And in fact, both parties, uh, for both of them, the theme was change, you know, break from the past, uh, none of the old politics, uh, new things are going to happen. Uh, the uh, Obama campaign did it better, so they won the marketing award, not the, not the uh, McCain campaign. Uh, the uh, notice, incidentally, on, on the side that the institutions that run the elections, the public relations in, uh, industry, advertisers, uh, they have a, a role. Their major role is commercial advertising. I mean, selling a candidate is a kind of a side role. In commercial advertising, as everybody knows, everybody has ever, say, looked at a television program, uh, the advertising is not intended to provide information about the, pro the product, right? I, mean, I don't have to go on about that. It's obvious. The point of the advertising is to delude people with uh, imagery and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, tales of a football player, or a sexy actress who, you know, drives to the moon in a car or something like that. But it's certainly not to inform people. In fact, it's to keep people uninformed. Uh, the goal of advertising is to create uh, uninformed consumers who will make irrational choices. Uh, those of you who've suffered through an economics course know that uh, markets are supposed to be based on informed consumers making rational choices. But industry spends hundreds of millions of dollars a year to, to undermine markets and to ensure you know, that, that you get uninformed consumers making irrational choices. And when they turn to uh, selling a candidate, they do the same thing. They want uninformed consumers, you know, uninformed uh, voters, to make irrational choices based on the success of uh, illusion, uh, slander, invective, uh, you know, uh, uh, body language, or whatever else is supposed to be significant. Uh, the, uh, so you undermine democracy pretty much the same way you undermine markets. Uh, well, uh, that's the nature of an election when it's run by the business world. And you'd expect it to be like that. There should be no surprise there. Uh, and it should also turn out that the uh, elected candidate doesn't have any debts. So you can follow a brand Obama can be whatever they decide it to be, not what the population decides that it should be, as in the South, let's say. I might say on the side that this may be an actual instance of the uh, familiar uh, and usually vacuous uh, slogan about clash of civilizations. Uh, maybe there really is one, uh, but not the kind that uh, is usually uh, uh, touted. Uh, the, uh, uh, so let's go back to the evidence that we have, rhetoric and actions. Rhetoric, we know. Now, what are the actions? Well, so far, the major actions are selection of, uh, in fact, the only actions are selection of uh, uh, personnel for the to implement brand Obama. Uh, the first choice was the vice president, Joe Biden, uh, one of the strongest supporters of the war in Iraq uh, in the Senate, uh, longtime Washington insider, you know, rarely deviates from uh, the party vote. And the cases where he does deviate are uh, not very uplifting. So he did break from the party and. Uh, voting 
uh, for a, a Senate resolution that prevented people from uh, uh, getting rid of their debts by uh, individuals, that is, from getting rid of their debts by uh, going into bankruptcy. That's a, that's a blow against poor people who are caught in this uh, immense uh, debt that's a large part of the basis for the economy these days. But usually he's a kind of straight uh, party liner, votes with the Democrats on the uh, sort of ultra-nationalist side. The choice of Biden was a must have been a conscious attempt to show contempt for the base of people who were voting for Obama and were organizing for him as an anti-war candidate. Well, the first post-election appointment was for chief of staff, which is a crucial appointment that determines a large part of the president's agenda. Uh, that was Rahm Emanuel, uh, one of the strongest supporters of the war in Iraq in the House. In fact, he was the only member of the Illinois delegation who voted for uh, uh, Bush's effective declaration of war. And again, a longtime Washington insider. Uh, also one of the leading recipients in Congress of uh, funding from the uh, uh, financial institutions and hedge funds and so on. Uh, he himself uh, was an investment banker. Uh, that's his background. So that's the chief of staff. Uh, the next group of appointments were uh, uh, the main problem that the, 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 the issue, the primary issue that the government's going to have to face is what to do about the financial crisis. The uh, Obama's choices to more or less run this uh, were uh, Robert Rubin and uh, Larry Summers uh, from the Clinton Secretaries of Treasury under Clinton. Uh, they are among the uh, people who are substantially responsible for the crisis. Actually, one leading economist, one of the few economists who's been right all along in predicting what's happening, Dean Baker, uh, pointed out that selecting them is like uh, selecting Osama bin Laden to run the war on terror. Uh, yeah, I'll finish. <laughs> this saves me the problem of talking about what's coming next. I'll just finish with the elections. Uh, well, let me make one final comment on this. The, uh, there was a meeting on November 7th, I think, of a, a group of a couple of dozen uh, advisors to uh, deal with the financial crisis. Uh, their careers were, records were reviewed in the business press. Uh, Bloomberg News had an article reviewing their records and concluded that these people, most of these people, shouldn't be giving advice about the economy. They should be getting subpoenas. Because, because they were, most of them were involved in, uh, you know, were involved in one or other form of financial fraud that includes Rahm Emanuel, for example. Uh, he said, you know, what reason is there to think that the people who brought this crisis about are somehow going to fix it? Well, that's a good indication of what's likely to come next, at least if we look at actions. Uh, we could but I won't. Uh, you can bring this up. Ask what we expect to see in particular cases. And there's evidence about that from statements from Obama's website. I'll mention just one thing about Obama's website, uh, which gives an indication of what's happening. One of the major problems coming uh, is Afghanistan and Pakistan. That's pretty serious. Take a look at Obama's website uh, under issues, foreign policy issues. The names don't even appear. 
I mean, we're not, we're supposed to be ignorant and meddlesome outsiders. We're not supposed to know what Brand Obama is. Uh, so you can't find out that way. Uh, the statements that you hear are pretty hawkish. Uh, and it doesn't change much as you go through the list, but I'll wrap up here. Okay. So it's up to you to continue. Noam Chomsky, MIT professor, world-renowned linguist, author of more than 100 books, his first major address since the elections. He gave it last week in Boston. If you'd like a copy of today's show, you can go to our website at democracynow.org. Democracy Now! is produced by Mike Burke, Sharif Abdel-Kadus, Aaron Mate, Anjali Comet, Steve Martinez, Nicole Salazar, Hani Massoud, Rabbi Karen, Mike DeFilippo, Miguel Naguera, and Peter Curries, our engineer. Special thanks also to Becca Staley, Nick Gilla, Hugh Gran, Samantha Chambly, Jessel Noor, John Randolph, Kieran Krug-Meadows, Rakan Penny, Vesta Godars, Rabia Alkani. Our website is democracynow.org. There you can get a copy of today's show. You can see the video and audio podcast. You can read the transcripts of every single broadcast. Please spread the word far and wide about Democracy Now!, independent radio and television. In our holiday specials, we'll be bringing you two. One is Winter Soldier. The other is Looking Back at Studs Terkel's Life. This is Thursday and Friday of this Thanksgiving week. Also, Democracy Now! is headed to Sweden, to Hamburg, to Berlin. If you live in any of those places and you'd like to get more details, please email us at mail at democracynow.org. That's Stockholm, Sweden, Hamburg, and Berlin. Mail at democracynow.org. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks so much for joining us.